I want you to, as you write down the notes, and I'm not going to be able to take the time to stop and try to give all the information if you miss it, but please, if you don't get all of the information, the names, again, just kind of go back and forth on the website, and on, under media, we have sermons there, and I will have this one here as well on the, on the website. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, with me as I pray. Today, Lord, we honor you for the blessing and the privilege to be able to gather here today. There are people who cannot gather because of illness, sickness, because of sin, because of various things that are happening in their lives. But we are a blessed people that's able to gather together in this place. The Bible says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So today we pray that we will understand the importance of coming together as a body to strengthen one another. We don't only come to be strengthened, but we come to strengthen another. We come to honor and to serve and to worship you, which is our primary responsibility and privilege. Now today as we study the Word of God, we pray that you will allow this Word to go deep, to sink into our inmost being. May we, Lord, take the Word in. May we receive the Word. May we make application to our very lives. We love you. We thank you. We honor you. And we give you all the glory for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to continue the topic that I mentioned last week that I gave, which is Under God's Direct Protection, Part 2. Under God's Direct Protection, Part 2. Back in April, when I preached from Acts 24, I gave the title, A Very Bleak Outlook, But Hold On. That was the title, A Very Bleak Outlook. But hold on. Today, for the scripture reading, if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 24, beginning at verse 24, I'm going to read right through chapter 25, verses 1 through 22. So again, Acts 24, beginning at verse 24, through Acts 25, verse 22, right through there. And then I will go back and then make from there. I'll be reading from the NIV, so if you're looking on the board, the reading will be a little different, but you can follow along. And this is what the Word of God says, Acts 24, beginning at verse 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Chapter 25, verse 1. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Verse 4, Festus answered, Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the men there, 
if he has done anything wrong. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he convened the court in order that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There is a man here whom Felix left a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. When Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. Under God's direct protection, part two. Again, if you have a pencil, there are several things that we're going to be looking at and to keep some things straight and to help you keep me straight, (laughs) it would be most helpful. Herod the Great. Herod the Great. If you want to write his name, Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the Herod who had the babies killed in Jerusalem. So the thing that you want to remember is that he was the one that wanted to kill Jesus, the baby, when the wise men said there's a king. So Herod the Great is the one who killed children two years old and under. Keep that in mind. Herod the Great was the one telling the wise men, when you find word of this man, go and bring me word so that I can worship him too. But the Bible says that in a dream, The wise men were told by the angel, don't go back, go a different way. And when Herod was tricked, or was not tricked, but when he realized that he had been outwitted, I'll say, he was angry and then sought to kill all the boys in an attempt to kill Jesus. The next name that you need to write down is Herod. Antipas, A-N-T-I-P-A-S, Herod Antipas. Now I want you to know this, that the name Herod is the title given to the Herods. Herod, the name runs in the, name, the family name of Herod the Great. So when you hear Herod, you know that all of them are related to Herod the Great. Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. 
Now, what is he known for? This Herod is known for having killed John the Baptist. He had John the Baptist beheaded. Had him killed because John told him that the woman that you're with is not your wife. And so the wife got upset. And when a time came, she had her daughter ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Herod Antipas is the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. The next Herod is who we called Herod, King Herod Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa the first. Agrippa, two P's, A-G-R-I-P-P-A. I want to take my time through this right now, and as I will speed up with the names, but King Herod Agrippa the first. King Herod Agrippa the first is the grandson of King Herod the Great. He is the grandson of Herod the Great, and Herod Antipas is his uncle, right? The one that we just mentioned. So King Herod, the, King Herod Agrippa the first is the grandson of King Herod the Great. Now, what do we know about this Agrippa? He is the one that's known for having killed the Apostle James. He killed the Apostle James, and he had also put the Apostle Peter in prison. His plan was to kill him too. If you remember the story where the angel of the Lord came and unlocked the doors and let Peter out of prison, and Peter went to the house of John Mark's mother and the young girl wrote us it. Peter is at the door. You out your mind. Peter's in jail. Peter is at the door. Remember I told you? Peter is at the door. They said it is not Peter. Remember, they were having a prayer meeting. They were praying for Peter's release. And they were saying, Oh my God, would you please release Peter? And the Lord answered their prayer. And when the answer came, they said, you out your mind. It ain't Peter. It's his angel. And I told you before that it takes more faith to believe that an angel is there rather than the real person. So this is this Herod Agrippa that we mentioned. Killed James, the apostle of Jesus, was planning to kill Peter and was killed himself. Now, I need to go back for a minute to Herod Antipas. Something that's very important that I want to make note of. Just in your margin. Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, he was also present at Jesus' crucifixion. This is the one where Pontius, Pontius Pilate sent Jesus to. This was the Herod that was in power at the time. And so he was there for Jesus' crucifixion or was in, in power. Now going back to Herod Agrippa I, we got three Herods. Who's the first Herod we have? We have Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, and now we have talked about Herod Agrippa I, number one. Now, this Herod Agrippa, if you also remember, one of the things that he is also known for is in and the way that he died, he died a very horrible death. He was eaten by worms from the inside. If you recall, there was a feud, there was a, a, a fight going on with the people, but because the people of the area, Belize Caesarea, they depended on the king for their food. And so he had gone down to Caesarea, possibly to participate in some of the, the games. You know that we have the Olympics. They also had games back there. In fact, that's where many of the games started in Greece, etc., and very back there. And, but anyway, when he stood to give his public address, history says that he was dressed in, in, in this beautiful outfit that was made of all silver. Incredible. 
And when the sun rose and how the sun reflected on it, it was gorgeous. The people said, this is not the voice of a man, but the voice of a God. And the Bible says, because he didn't give honor to God, he was struck dead. He was struck with a, this, a very painful illness and was dead within five days. God struck him, and he was eaten by worms. This is King Agrippa I, who was the grandson of Herod. All of the Herods were evil. Keep that in mind. The next Herod is King Herod Agrippa II, who was in the story that we just now read. Now, the reason that I am bringing this in, because it's very important, ties into history, ties into relationships, ties into connections, ties in with, uh, into associations that we make and that we have. Now, you can't choose your family. Your family is your family. That's just who they are. You are born into a family. But you are not obligated to do everything your family does. Please understand that. Please don't make the excuse, that's just my family. That's how we act. Break that cycle if it's not right. <laughs> don't use that as an excuse. <laughs> King Herod Agrippa II is the great-grandson of King Herod the Great. We're going to see more about him a little bit later next week. But just want to introduce him today. Back to Herod Agrippa the first. Herod Agrippa the first, Herod Agrippa the first, his father's name, I said some, but his father's name was Aristobulus. So his father's name, Herod Agrippa the first, his father's name was Aristobulus. Aristobulus was a son of Herod the Great. Herod killed his son. He killed Aristobulus. He also killed his brother, which is his other son. He killed two of his sons. Herod the Great killed his son, Aristobulus, that you don't oftentimes see in Scripture. He is the father of Aristobulus. Aristobulus. Okay? Herod, the, Herod the Great is the father of Aristobulus. Aristobulus is the father of King Agrippa I. That's why I said you need to get it. That's why I'm telling you to write this. I'll say you're going to have to write this down because it's hard to keep straight. Now, Herod was a very paranoid man. He was always concerned that somebody is trying to get the throne. And that's probably true what's happened. People were always feeding him. There was a lot of anxiety and a lot of, of manipulation, a lot of lying, just a lot of stuff happening. So because Herod kept having his ear filled and his paranoia was just so severe, he eventually had his sons killed. Now, when, when Herod Agrippa came on the scene, he was already, Herod Agrippa I, he was already a man that had been influenced by evil, so many things taking place. He was already a man that was in a culture and a family that, that had a murder and they had um, um, all these plots taking place. This is how he grew up. Herod Agrippa I has a son called Herod Agrippa II. He is the great-grandson of King Herod. And in this story, we see him now as he's coming into power, has come into power, and he is the king in this area of Judea. He is married to Bernice. Bernice and King Agrippa II are brother and sister. Drusilla, the wife of Felix, is the sister of King Agrippa II and Bernice. All three are brother and sister. So when we saw Drusilla, if you go back to 
Acts 24, 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. She is also a part of Herod's family. Incest was a part of Herod's family. Brother, sister, marrying, not marrying. It, it was just incredible. Now, as we look at what is taking place here, Felix has kept Paul in prison because Paul goes to Jerusalem and there he where he's not supposed to be, but he's there and we are now that God has said, Paul, you're going to Rome. Felix keeps him in prison. For now, it's two years has passed and Paul is still in prison. There were charges that have never been brought against him by the religious leaders, but Felix will not release him. But Felix was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. Felix wanted a bribe. But you know what? Felix also liked talking to Paul. Now, I need to tell you this. Paul was not the one on trial in this situation. Felix was on trial because Felix was hearing the word of God. And any time you hear the word of God, you've got to do something with it. So while, while, while Felix thought that he was listening to Paul and, and enjoyed hearing him, he was really the one under the microscope. And so the Bible says, Acts 24, 24, several days later Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Why? Because Drusilla had been married when she was 16 to another man. She left her husband, and Felix convinced her to come to her, to him. So she moved him and became his wife. And do you not know that just like John the Baptist was preaching against the ruler at that time, the Herod at that time, the same thing is happening with Paul right here. He is preaching against. He said, you're wrong in what you've done. John said, you shouldn't have your brother's wife. And here, Paul is saying she wasn't your wife. She, and she's not even yet 20 years old. Felix was a man that was evil. He loved bribes. But he's on a very short leash right now because Rome is saying, Felix, We've been getting a lot of complaints. And, he's, and he knew that his tenure in, 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 in Caesarea, where he was ruling, was very short. In the Judea area, it was short. And at this particular time, because of all the complaints, Rome says, we're calling you back to Rome. Now, anytime you got called back to Rome, basically your life was in jeopardy. You, you, you go back, you've been called back because you have not ruled as you should? Off with the head. Our, our congressmen today don't have that happen. They can lie and do all the kind of things. But if their lives were at stake, I think they would rule quite differently today. So Felix and Drusilla would come and listen to Paul. And then Paul... As he preached, he got to the point of talking about sin and then sexual purity. And then it got to the place when he talked about the final judgment of God. He said, that's enough for now. I've heard enough. Thank you. You can send him, take him back to prison. Take him back to his cell. Thank you very much, Paul. I've heard enough. But the Bible says he would call for him frequently. He liked to listen to Paul. There's something about hearing the word of God. But when it gets to the point, we say, that's enough for now. A little bit too close to home. And so he would send Paul back. Now we have Festus who comes to the scene. Rome now sends Festus to rule. And Festus is now the governor. And what does Felix do? Felix leaves Paul in prison, and Festus has to now deal with Paul. 
I can imagine that Felix is just upset, that Festus is upset with Felix. Then why did you leave this mess for me? You left this mess for me to clean up, and now Festus is in charge. And you know when you first start a job, you want to give a good impression. I know you do. Don't act like you don't. I know you do. You come there, you stay late, you sweep, you do all the stuff you need to do. Take care of the books, just take care of everything. But before long, <laughs> we sometimes will start complaining. Let me say this as I give you point number one. We're not going to be here too much longer. It's 1235. I'll, you will be out of here by 1 o'clock. <laughs> Rome was ruled by, at this time, Nero. Nero was called the beast. He was evil. Nero was a man who at one point, it's said in history for the first five years, he actually ruled with integrity. He was trained under a person by the name of Seneca. And he ruled because Seneca was a man of integrity. So his rulership was one that was... Uh, uh, that was riding upright. We, it's not known what happened. Why he changed. Why he went mad. Maybe it was power. Who knows? But he was one of the most brutal leaders and dictates. Dictators. And this is who Paul makes his appeal to. is Nero. But at the time, Nero was a man that was ruling with integrity. As we go through this, we need to understand that the Bible, in giving us the history, in giving us this information, is, is, is letting us know that when you look at people that won't honor or serve God, there's a high price tag. And it makes no difference where you might be, what you might be going through, whether in jail, prison, wherever you may be, the Lord, if you serve Him, can provide and protect you. Yeah. Paul is living under all of this, and God's hand is still keeping Paul. Can you see how powerful God is? That Paul is still under the protection of God's mighty hand? With all the madness, people trying to kill him. Point number one, evil does not have a timeline. After being in prison for two years, we see that the rulers are still making plans to try to kill Paul and still making false accusations. This new governor, Festus, when he goes to Jerusalem, he, Jerusalem, he convenes the Sanhedrin and he says, what's the problem? As he goes and, welcome, and, and introduces himself, tries to get a lay of the land, what's going on? They present their case. There's a man that's in Caesarea named Paul. We want him dead. Governor Festus says, it is not the custom of Rome to convict a man before he has had a chance to stand before his accusers. Well, he's already stood before his accusers of Felix. He didn't find nothing wrong. Felix left him there. Felix was sent back to Rome, and he didn't even have to pay any, any consequences because he had a powerful brother that was there. So Felix didn't even die, nor was he even punished because of his brother, who was a very powerful and a wealthy man, helped him. But we see that, that Festus is now in this situation and he's faced with this problem and he's been put in charge because Felix was a crook. He was a person that would take bribes and it was a mess. And Festus is thinking, I don't want the same thing to happen to me. I don't want to be recalled. There's a man there named Paul. We want him dead. Well, you, well yeah, what are the charges? Do you not know that evil... We'll wait as long as necessary. Evil ain't got no timeline. Some people say it's been three years. It should be over that right now. Well, if it ain't dealt with in our hearts, it's going to linger. If we don't deal with evil in our hearts, it will remain. These religious leaders are still plotting to kill Paul after two years. And they still don't have any accusations, nothing that's legally binding that by which they can hold him, but he's in prison. Do you not know that Satan is making charges against you right now before the Lord? Yes. 
Satan is just saying, God, let, I, let me at them. I want them. And it's only by God's provision and protection that you are kept. When the Lord allows Satan to have at you to give, to have him test you, it is always under the guidance of God if you belong to him. If you don't, good luck. Paul was known by God and he was under God's divine protection. So after spending about eight or ten days in Jerusalem, he said, you know what? You got a charge? I want you to come down to Caesarea. You can press your charges there. And so he convenes the court. One of the good things about Festus is that he didn't waste much time. Within coming to Caesarea to power, he goes to Jerusalem. After going to Jerusalem, he says, come with me. And the very next day, he convenes the court. He, he, he's, he's, he's moving and taking care of business. It would be good for us to take a note of that and how we handle our affairs. There's just some things that I don't want to do something. I just procrastinate. Y'all looking at me funny. Y'all do it too. I know y'all, y'all will do it. If there's something you don't want to do, you will procrastinate. But if there's something you want to do, you can do it quickly. Well, even some things we want to do, we sometimes still procrastinate. But, but things that we want to do, we'll jump to it. When I'm playing softball, I don't want to arrive at the third inning. I want to get there before the game starts. Because I want to be in the starting lineup. I don't want to go in the third inning. Have to get third inning? I'm just making it. If I get into the third inning, I got lost. That's what happened. I got lost. Something happened along the way. I, I was going to play softball one day down in Ripon. Um, they, had, they had the uh, fields. They, had, they have different uh, fields that when we play down there and, and during Labor Day. And so this year, they had a, the games in a place called Ripon. Never been there, but I passed by there when I'm going to uh, Modesto, where I was where I've sitting at the, uh, the day's end. But I got turned around. So they said, okay, Marcus, the game starts at 9, 15, whatever it was. So I get on the road, and I'm going, and I'm looking. I said, I ain't seeing no signs. I don't, it shouldn't be this far out the way. And then it dawned on me, you might be going the wrong way. <laughs> I thought, thinking to myself, I think I might be going the wrong way. <laughs> How can I turn around? And that... And then it hit me. Wait a minute. That's the main field that we play off of. Lord, have mercy. I'm way out the way. I didn't travel 20 minutes going the wrong way, and it's almost 9 o'clock. I turn around, get back on the road, and I'm going a little bit over the speed limit. <laughs> because I want to be on time for the game. As I'm going and going, I stand, I'm thinking to myself, and I hope I'm going the wrong or right way because I don't want it to turn around again. But I'm going to think I'm going the right way. I see the sign, rip on, like, next three exits. Then I take the exit, and I don't know which way to go now. <laughs> so I go to a gas station, ask a person. He said, I don't know. And the person that was happening to be pumping gas told me, yeah, the fields are over there, and gave me a little direction. I got turned around again and finally got there. When I was getting out my car, the team says, Marcus, hurry up. We're on the field. <laughs> the game was just about to start, and they needed the third baseman. And I hadn't even put my cleats on. I'm running, trying to put my shoes on. Ain't warmed up or nothing. And here I'm out now, and they're out in the field about to start the game. But I wanted to be on time because... I had a part to play with that team. My position was crucial to helping them succeed. Y'all don't hear me. No, you don't hear me. You don't hear me. You don't hear me. You don't hear me. No, no, no. There is a part that you play in the body of Christ that nobody can just take your place. God has given you a place in the body, and some of you are saying, I want to substitute. Well, that's a problem when you're playing softball. If you got, now they can play t with 10 players. If they only got 10 players there, and there's nobody else, there are no substitutes. You got to play. 
Let me tell you this. There's nobody who can do your job. There's nobody who could do Paul's job. God called Paul to be the person that was representing him at this time. You've got a part to play. And when you don't play your part, the team suffers. No substitute. God is not looking for a substitute. He's looking for the one that he's gifted to fill that position. Now, it was Paul who could stay in prison for two years. Now, now don't tell me that Paul was not a man that was keeping quiet. He was telling whoever that was there listening. He was, that he, he was preaching to them. He wasn't spending idle time there in jail. He was telling those that were there what the Word of God says. And all the time that he's there, there is plotting still going on against Paul. Evil does not have a timeline. Festus, as he comes back and convenes the court, they bring up the same charges. Listen to me. And Paul tells them the same thing that he told them before. I ain't did nothing wrong. And I just said, I ain't did nothing wrong. <laughs> Dr. John Butler notes that the religious leaders may have learned better how to conceal their motives to kill Paul. In their first attempts, they made a pact and it was found out. But in this situation, they're trying to now be more secretive. You know, if they can get the venue changed from Caesarea to Jerusalem, they are still planning an ambush. How can we get to him? Do you not know that something that God keeps you from is for your own protection? Right now, Paul, even though he's in prison, He's protected from those that are trying to kill him. And they're saying, we want Paul to come back to Jerusalem. There are two things you need to note about this. Number one, you need to note that if the venue changes back to Jerusalem rather than Caesarea, which was, which was Caesar's um, throne or his, his um, court, because of, at that time that's where the Palestine or that's where Roman, Roman ruled from, they ruled from Caesarea, so therefore that was called Caesar's court. If it changed from that venue back to Jerusalem, the same rules may not necessarily apply. It would be for the Sanhedrin. They would have an advantage. And so their plan is that, you know what? If we can get Paul back to Jerusalem, it's 65 miles or so between Jerusalem and Caesarea. We'll plan an ambush somewhere along the way. He won't have all those guards protecting him. We'll get to him. And we'll do it sneakily. You hear me? Sneakily. <laughs> do you know, that's how Satan does. Satan, Satan plans his attack on you right in the presence of God. And thinks he's being sneaky. God is right there looking at his plan. And here's the, and the interesting thing. He then got to go get God's permission to implement it against you. Now, 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 I need to say this. Make sure you're in God's will. Make sure that you're his. 65 miles, somewhere along the way, their plan is that if Paul is sent to Jerusalem, we'll kill him before he gets there. That's what they were wanting to do all along. Satan is not out to pat you on the head. He is not out to make your life just a little bit more difficult. He wants to destroy you. And we have to be careful of playing into the hands of the enemy because he does not have your best interest at heart. Satan is not our friend. I don't know how we keep forgetting that, but he's not your bosom buddy. He comes like a friend, possibly, but for soon enough, his, his true colors will come through. Every Roman citizen had the privilege 
of appealing their case to Caesar, to Rome. It was called the provocation. Any Roman citizen could appeal to the emperor. It was called the provocation. So Paul said, I'm not getting no justice here. I appeal to Caesar, to his court. Festus says, I better confer with my buddies here, my counsel. He says, you know what? Well, he's a Roman citizen. You know what? You just came into power. He's asked to go to Caesar. Man, this, this is your lucky day. This Man, you can get this off of your hands. It's been two years in prison. Sitting on, man, and he come back. You appeal to Caesar. To Caesar, you shall go. And Festus was eager to send him. But before he does, next week we're going to take a look at uh, who's the new audience that he begins to address. Now, let me move on. Let me move on. The provocation. Point number two, and I'm going to be done in just a few minutes. If you just want to note this, two more corrupt people to hear Paul. When you look at verses 25, 13 through 22, we are introduced now to King Agrippa II and his wife, Bernice. They have come to pay their respects to the new governor. King Agrippa II is responsible for two primary things. Number one, he is to oversee the temple in Jerusalem, and he is the one that appoints the high priest. He appoints the high priest, and he oversees or is in charge of the temple. As he comes to give his respects, it is Festus that says, you know what? <laughs> I want to run this situation by him. Now, King Agrippa and Bernice, they are only, they are only interested in themselves. They, they don't care about nobody else. Now, I'm going to tell you this. We're, we're the same way. If I am in line to watch a movie and several people start cutting me, I'm going to say, hey. Because I have been standing here and I don't want them to be going in front of me. So I'm going to say something. I paid my ticket. Go get in the back of the line. Got 50 people holding spaces for 50, 100 people. Wait a minute. I might get a little upset. I'm concerned about me. Now, if there's a couple of people, I'll say, oh, yeah, go right ahead. You know, go right ahead. We need to be concerned about others. Well, we can be concerned about ourselves as well, but we need to be concerned about others. King Agrippa and Bernice were not concerned about others. They were only concerned about themselves. That's how Herod raised them or their parents. That's, that's the culture in which they were raised. Now, I've said this to you before. I have a problem that I go and work 40 hours and a person thinks they can come and knock me over the head and take what belongs to me and didn't work for it. They come and steal it. It ain't yours. You didn't, you didn't work for it. Why should you get it? Go get it for yourself. That's what thievery is about. It's taking that which does not belong to us. King Agrippa and Bernice wanted to steal the honor and the praise that belonged to God. They were all about the pomp and the circumstance, all about things appealing to them. You know, that's what selfishness is. Selfishness basically says, you know what? <laughs> You don't deserve what you have. I deserve it. Selfishness is about, about, about feeling like somebody does not deserve more than what you got. Everybody's been there. It just said amen. Amen, piano. I didn't get no amen that you. The panel said, amen. <laughs> I heard it. The panel, did y'all hear the panel say amen? It sure did. It said, amen. <laughs> amen, piano. And I'm going to turn you off. I think the people have got to be. I'll turn you off later. <laughs> amen. Amen. If you are a Christian, 
How are you living your life? King Agrippa, the Herod family were involved in incestuous relationships. They were involved in murder, plots. I believe it's 2 Corinthians 6.14 that says that we are not to be unequally yoked to unbelievers. Today, the church is in a culture of seeking people to marry that don't know God. You are asking for disaster. If you are a believer and you are looking for a mate, don't do like Herod and his family did. Don't do that. Think about, I'm going to have to be with this person years down the road. We're going to have our own problems in this. The person that God gives you, you're going to have problems with. You're going to have, you're going to have to work right at home with your wife. I heard you. <laughs> I'm, standing, I'm standing over here. <laughs> we have to recognize that without difficulties, there's no growth. But when God brings about the difficulties, there's growth. When we connect with the person that God has for us, God will let us know. Be very careful. When we look at how these individuals here were marrying all the plots, the murder, all of these things, they lived under paranoia. You don't want to live under paranoia. There are some people who, who, who don't marry because they're don't have to, don't want to. Marriage is not for everyone. There are people who've got divorced, and that happens. Move on, God heals, he takes care of. But if you're looking, choose the right one. Be careful that you choose the right one. We can take the example just from the story we read today. If we're under God's divine protection, then we have to be led by God's divine hand. I'm so glad that God's a God of forgiveness. God's a God of, of love and healing, of mercy and compassion. God is a God who takes our sin and takes it and puts it in the sea of forgiveness, way in the east. Separates the east from the west so that your sins will never meet again. When we look at what God does for his people, he does an incredible thing. We've been talking how Paul was told, don't go back to Jerusalem. We were, we were looking and talking about that. Paul's already been forgiven. Got to deal with the consequences still, but Paul's been forgiven. God told Paul, you're going to Rome because you've got to give the same message you've been preaching. We need to live under God's divine protection. And whoever the audience is that you've been called to speak to, give them the same message. Paul never changed his message. Paul says, I'm not guilty. I believe in Christ. They said, this Christ that he says is dead, they're saying, talking about a dead Christ, Paul said he's alive. Yes, he's alive. The Bible says that he rose from the dead. That's the God that we serve. As we bring this sermon to a conclusion today, I want you to review your notes. Look at how intricately God works. He, 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 he works in situations to where it's just chaotic. Thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to get out of this mess? God has already provided a door. And you can walk through it. That's one of the things I love about God. Please stand on your feet. God works things out just like when we take a big ball of string and say, my goodness, it has to be untangled. God does not have to go through two and three loops to get out, to get through one. No, he can take one loop, 
right out and never have it be tangled again. God knows how to untangle the web of our lives. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that Paul served. And God had his hand over Paul's life the entire time. Even though plots were being made against him, lies were coming. Stand still and tell the truth no matter what. Be firm. Some things people just don't need to know. Tell everybody everything. Tell it to God and it's God here. Giving it to you. I know you can keep it. Tonight, God, or today as we conclude this message, we thank you for being under the divine protection of God. And we recognize that as long as we stay within the control and in the plan that you have set for us, every obstacle, every problem that comes our way, it will not be too much for us to overcome. It will not overwhelm us. Didn't say it would not be difficult, but it will not overwhelm us. That's one of the wonderful things about you, God, is you already temper what we are to go through. Might appear to be overwhelming, but it's not. If the Lord brought it about, help us to allow you, Lord, to bring about whatever it is that you want us to go through. Help us to walk through victoriously. May we not look for substitutes to do our job May we be the main player on the field of life that you've called us to live and to be. We thank you today, Lord, and we honor you for your goodness. May those in this place be saved. May people recognize and know that it's the name of Jesus only that saves. Nobody else, nothing else but Christ himself. We thank you right now, Lord. For the precious blood of our Savior, we give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name.